Town Hall Academy, episode 74. People see Goliath fearfully. They view him as large, and, and competitors are viewed as large, powerful, unbeatable. Uh, but when you're large and powerful and, and what is perceived as unbeatable, you can actually be weighed down. Uh, you, you might get a little arrogant. You might be slow to move, and you might be blind. Characteristics of David are stated by others as uh, he's young, he's inexperienced, small, he's untooled, he doesn't have the right equipment. But what I see from David is confidence. He understood his value, he had courage, he had faith, and he had incredible skill. Welcome, automotive aftermarketers, to a Remarkable Results Radio Town Hall Academy. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Welcome to episode 74 of the Remarkable Results Radio's Town Hall Academy. Hey, here's a very interesting academy, taking the biblical fable of David and Goliath and relating it to business especially our business. Glad to have you here on your only weekly forum for aftermarket professionals intent on bringing fresh and innovative discussion to inspire and grow individuals and companies. Carm Capriato here, thanking Jasper Engines and Transmissions for the support of the Town Hall Academy. Here's another reason to choose Jasper. It's their commitment to continuous improvement, their investment in research and development, product updates, and remanufacturing processes means Jasper provides the perfect product. I was at the plant and I saw firsthand the improvements they make to so many OE designs. Have you had a chance to review the new photo page on the website? Pictures from industry events with many podcast guests and your industry colleagues. Now, if you have a pic that you'd like me to post, send it my way. Find the pictures at remarkableresults.biz slash photos. You know, select Town Hall Academy episodes are available for AMI credit. Go to remarkableresults.biz slash AMI to find them and start to earn AMI elective credits. The next time you talk to an industry friend or colleague, tell them about Remarkable Results Radio and the Town Hall Academy. Share this very powerful resource with them. Now, I recently heard from Mike Nicholson, who said, I've enjoyed every single podcast that I've listened to and look forward to sitting through the entire library of these valuable discussions. I encourage people in the industry to take some time and harvest some of the fruits these podcasts have to deliver for not just personal growth, but for the growth of our industry. Hey, thanks so much, Mike. Now, let's get into Can David Beat Goliath? Our panel dives into the dichotomy of David and Goliath. David, quick, nimble, and did not perceive that he was an underdog. On the other hand, the panel considers that larger industry players can be Goliath-like, complacent, too structured, weighed down with rules, and inflexible. Now, it doesn't mean that it is bad, but they say small and nimble is better than big and sluggish. Now, however, ironically, we did discuss that having a Goliath mentality may be good for a David. We talked business models, being able to adapt to changes in the marketplace and consumers' habits. A great example in the discussion was that Starbucks is a Goliath, but they hire Davids. Interesting, a very potent strategy for success. We talk customer loyalty and what we can learn from the Goliaths of the world of the automotive. Now listen to the Town Hall Academy. Can David beat Goliath with Bambi Crozier from Car Clinic in Lowell, Arkansas? Jeremy O'Neill, Freedom Automotive, Hesperia, California, and President and Lead Sales Trainer for Advisor Fix. And Scott Palava, Lonsdale Auto Works, Lonsdale, Minnesota. Enjoy. Okay. 
Okay, great topic. Bambi, you brought this to me a few months back. We finally got a chance to put it on the topic. Uh, We know the struggles inside of businesses to grow, continue to be worthy, steal market share, grow big cultures. And every once in a while, you stop and you look at the mountain you have to climb. I heard a great quote from Cynic. A lot of people see the top of the mountain. Some of them don't actually see the mountain. And, you know, when you think of when you think of height, uh, you also think of the old biblical story of David and Goliath. Tell us about it and sum it up. Sure. So to me, uh, David and Goliath, I mean, biblically speaking, it's the the Philistines and the Israelites and they are in a battle. Neither can advance down in a valley. And um, so per custom, the Philistines say we're going to send Goliath, who is you know, six cubits, which is over over nine feet in today's terminology. And they're going to challenge one of the Israelites, whoever will come forward. Um, Goliath's wearing armor, weighing 5,000 shekels, which today is over 125 pounds. His, his spear is over 16 pounds. Uh, he is a shield bearer walking in front of him to lead them out. And for 40 days, he calls out morning and night, you know, come and fight me and nobody will. And David was sent by his father to go check on the brothers and um, heard this going on and, and approached Saul and said, hey, I'll, I'll fight the giant for you. David was disqualified by Saul for size, for age, for lack of training and, and, and lack of capability, uh, for lack of a better word. But David refutes Saul. He shares his resume and says, listen, I'm, I'm tending these sheep and you may think that's nothing, but I've killed a bear and I've killed a lion and I, I've had to do this with my hands. So I, I can do this. And, and Saul, you know, concedes and says, okay, fine, we'll let you go, but let's get you dressed up in all this armor, which David, of course, attempts to put on, but it doesn't work for him. It's clunky. He's trying to work in a, in a, in a manner that's not, he, he's not accustomed to. So he goes out by himself and uh, Goliath calls out, am I a dog that you come out here with sticks and um, come here and I'll, I'll feed you to the birds, right? And David responds and says, you know, uh, I come here with my God and, and I'm going to take you out. And that he does. So uh, that's the story. Great story. And uh, when we think of that great story of the nimble, quick moving David, smarter David, man, we sure can relate that to business. Absolutely. Absolutely. A lot of people think the story is about underdogs or about um, improbable victories, but I, I really see something else. I started to look at the characteristics, not just as as they seem to come across, but what they really are. So people see Goliath fearfully. They view him as large and, and competitors are viewed as large, powerful, unbeatable. Uh, but when you're large and powerful and, and what is perceived as unbeatable, you can actually be weighed down. Uh, you, you might get a little arrogant. You might be slow to move and you might be blind. Um, characteristics of David are stated by others as uh, he's young, he's inexperienced, small, he's untooled. He doesn't have the right equipment. But what I see from David is confidence. He understood his value. He had courage. He had faith and he had incredible skill. I can't wait to open this whole conversation up about the concept of being small and nimble versus the the Goliaths of this world. And Jeremy, I wanted to ask you this. There are things, though, to learn about the Goliaths that we face. Well, there are. I'm listening to, you know, Bambi's story, and I'm just sitting here thinking that 
so many times we're focused on the external Goliath, but the biggest Goliath in your life could be an internal struggle that you're going through. So, you know, that's a point that I'm sitting here thinking, okay, you know, when life continues to give you challenges, if you don't look at, are you changing as a, as your character and are you growing? That could be one thing, but also the Goliath definitely, you know, it's interesting when I go into a fast food restaurant, you look at, you know, these chains that have thousands of stores all across the world. I always look behind the counter. And one thing that always has fascinated me with, with franchises and business processes and models is how they get their systems down. So we can learn a lot from the larger uh, conglomerates and the stores and Goliaths because they do know how to create processes and create that consistency within the product. And a lot of times when an independent repair shop owner jumps into the business, we find ourselves doing pretty much everything. And that's part of the success, right? Because it's unique. You know, you get to talk to the owner, whatever it is, you get that personalized service experience. And then as you grow and you can see this with shops all across North America. As you grow, you experience different levels of pain and struggle and frustration because maybe you didn't bring the right person in and they can't deliver your product in the way that you want. It's just slightly different, but wow, you don't know why you got a three-star review that week. Well, it's, you know, you didn't do the transaction, but you're trying to leverage and grow. It's really all about the people. And then the process is definitely coming to take place. I love well. to study big business. Mm-hmm. And you know how I do it today? When I'm at their counter, as you said, go to a fast food place, go to a donut shop, and I watch them work. I I, I relate my experience to how well their systems, their customer service attitudes are. And then I have a chance every once in a while to look around the corner and to watch, you see those big laminated cards as to how they have to greet, how they press this button, how they build the sandwich. And when I think about that, I think about, wow, you talk about consistency? You, you, you talk about processes and systems. What can we learn from that? So, so much, which is why processes and systems win awards. Absolutely. And, you know, I look at that, too. And what does that give a consumer? And this is a lot of the things that we lack on the independent side when you're a smaller, you know, possibly a David, is it gives that consumer a peace of mind. And right, wrong or indifferent, there are a lot of auto repair consumers that will go to a national chain simply because they've got the backing of that larger corporation behind them, knowing that those systems are in place. And it does breed a little bit of peace of mind, knowing that that job's going to be done. It's going to be done right. And they've got somebody behind them. I think part of that, uh, that what you're saying is very good. Now as a small business, um, as the owner or uh, you have the ability to adapt to the situation, but we can't count on our employees to adapt the same way we would. So that's why it's important to have those processes in place because I know I, I trust myself to try to do a hundred percent right every time. And if I don't, if I don't get it perfect every time, at least the effort was put forth, but I can't guarantee that a staff member has the experience or the, the background or the ability to give the exact experience that I would have. So, uh, yeah, they, maybe they don't have as much flexibility as myself as the owner would in handling a situation, but then it would be consistent, uh, in the future. And every, it's a level of expectation, both the consumer and the employee there. They know what's expected of them. And the consumer, uh, has that same level of expectation of what they should get from them. Okay, your customer's engine or transmission has failed, but now is not the time for them to trade their vehicle. Not without a working engine or transmission. Besides, would they have kept their vehicle another three to five years if their engine or transmission had not let them down? 
Well, if you answered yes, then Jasper Engines and Transmissions is your choice to give your customer's vehicle new life and many thousands of miles of enjoyable driving performance. When considering the high cost of a new or newer used vehicle, there's a pretty good case to be made for your customers to replace a drivetrain component that has failed or is delivering poor performance, rather than trading their car, truck, van, or SUV. Install a quality remanufactured Jasper product for less than your customer would have to invest in a different vehicle. Go to jasperengines.com to learn more about the money-saving value of Jasper. Scott, when you think about uh, having a major 2008, a major economic crisis, and the immediacy of what happens in the big corpse is, you know, everybody gets together, they decide where they're cutting costs. Yeah. Imagine the nimbleness of a small David and the weathering the storm concept. It's got to be uh, easier to handle when challenges come up. Well, absolutely. As a, as you know, as a small business owner, and you know, we all have to eat. But at the same time, we can we can tighten our belt and know that we're we're going to be there for the long haul. Um, so you know, if, if there's a time where you know, as an owner, you you can't cash a check or uh, you you maybe can't do what you've been doing, you know the reason for it. Uh, the bigger corporations, they're answering to shareholders. They're answering, you know, they they've got maybe multiple. Uh, uh, locations they've got a they've got a cash flow to cover all their expenses and <clears throat> I don't know many employees that are willing to work for free uh, but as an owner oftentimes we have to cut those uh, cut things back and make it work and you know sometimes you you do become a volunteer for a week or two but you know you're going to get the result in the 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 good result in the end by uh, you know through your efforts. For example, I'm a I'm a city council member, and uh, we have a municipal liquor store in the community I'm in. It's very difficult for a municipal liquor store to compete with a private liquor store because we have so many layers of management. We've got our city administrator, we've got all these other things, and uh, through wage uh, uh, wage equalization uh, across the city, we have to pay differently than a private business would. You know, and uh, a private liquor store could make the same uh, the uh, they could make the pay pay to the owner as a employee and a manager, they can be all in one where, uh, uh, but in the city, it doesn't work. And that's the same thing in the, in the larger change and corporate type environment. So a lot more money going out means a lot more has to come in. And they, re- I think they really feel the effects, uh, far more than we think they do. Bambi, what Scott just said, it reminded me of the words weighted down, and, you know, comparing uh, David, uh, David uh, the small independent business people who are on the panel here to the Goliaths of this world, what's an example of how nimble you can be if you're not weighted down? I can make process changes instantly. You know, um, I can implement things quickly. I can uh, drop things and move over to this very quickly. As a leader, my team can do that. They can make decisions. Jason's very empowered as my service writer um, to make decisions that a lot of times in corporate worlds, they can't. He's more empowered here than where he came from. And they they had, I don't know, six or eight stores. Uh, but the larger you get, the more I, you have no choice. You've got to to implement and, and keep the consistency. But in a smaller one, two, even three shops, I think you have the capability to react more quickly. 
Yeah, and you know, that's I, I just want to bring this up because when Scott was talking, this you know came to mind. One of the very first interviews we did, Carm, you know, you asked me a question, which was so every shop needs a service advisor. And I kind of paused and said, well, I'm not going to say an absolute rule that that's yes, because there are times where as a small business owner, you've got to write the ship and go back to the counter. And, you know, I've, I've seen working with Bambi earlier within her business, I've seen her jump in and fill the roles that need to be filled and change the course of that business. And that's the beauty that we have being David, which is, hey, if something's changing, if our lead conversion drops, you know, what? let me answer the phone for a couple of days and see what these consumers are telling us. Why are we not converting leads? Is our process not working? Do we need to make a change? And I love the fact that as independent repair shop owners, we can give the market what it's demanding and change the course and then fulfill the need of our business by jumping in and actually, you know, sometimes it's cool to have a wrench in your pocket and get your hands a little bit dirty, even if it is just checking air pressure on a tire or something like that. But to live it, to be there, I think that's awesome. And that's one of the things we do. And when I think about these corporate structures, MSOs, right, multi-store operators, as you create that corporate chain, as long as I've been in existence, the feedback I get from the service advisors on the counter, the technicians in the shop, is when you have that layer of management, that management forgets what it's like to be back in my shoes. They don't understand what I have to go through every single day. And as a manager, yeah, you might be running six stores. Well, guess what? Your service advisor is the one that gets there early to open the store, that has to deal with 100 calls a day, that has to respond and react. And you're getting on them about something really small and tedious when the core of it is, hey, we have to take care of these customers because if I don't, the processes are going to be undermined. So a lot of times that management layer, they forget what it's like to do that job. Or worse, they bring people in from the outside that have never even done the job. And oh my gosh, I literally want to pull my hair out when I get feedback like that. It just drives me crazy. There are many small independents that got big. God bless them. They understood what it was like to struggle and, and to get there. But for a, a lion's share of our independent aftermarket, we're all small operators. And that whole, you know, again, it becomes a pro of being nimble and being quick and, and, and being at that street. And when the shop operator, and I, this is, this is a message, to, a question to everyone, you know, the e-myth says, hey, you got to work on your business, not in it. And there's this point where you move yourself up and away and let your team run that. Is that a pro or a con to a David mentality? I'll jump in. I, I think it's, I would look at it more as a pro. And I think, you know, that's where I'm at with Freedom Auto Repair. I'm, I'm growing to that level because, yeah, I don't want to put 60 hours a week in the shop every single week. I just, that's not the life that I want for myself. Um, I think the one thing when you look at the ivory tower and being able to empower your team to do it, it, it goes to me about this. Our business model in this entire planet is shifting and changing. And we're in the midst of the shift right now. And when I think of Goliath, I, you know, obviously I go to Amazon, right? Look at how Amazon has dominated their marketplace. And I mean, they're the largest retail in the world. People are following, you know, Walmart's trying to catch up to them. I think Walmart will make it. It's just very interesting to see. And if you look and if you study this for the last 10 years, the shift in consumerism has been a little bit slower to respond. But now it's here. It's finally here. And what that means to us in the repair facility, and I love, I read Bambi's notes with what she put down. She put a lot of great thought-provoking ideas in here. She talks about knowing your product, knowing your value. We cannot be all things to all people. And the challenge that I see, and this is when I came into Freedom Auto 18 months ago, I was on a mission to spend very little money on marketing. My marketing budget for the shop is $400 a month. That's it. I will not spend more than that. And I'm testing things out. And it's proof that there's a new market out there. 
that there's market share to be captured in any marketplace. And I don't care how long you've been established. I don't care how big your company is. If I want your customers, I can come in, do things different, get in front of the new consumer and channel market share my way for far less dollars than you paid to get there. So my message to everybody is this, the way we're doing things right now and today needs to be looked at because I guarantee you in three years, it probably is not going to work. And there will be a completely new, business model that nobody's even prepared for. We don't even see what's coming. And when it gets here, it's going to smack people upside the head and it's going to close a lot of shops because they're going to go, wow, why aren't we getting our postcards back in? Okay, well, I can tell you why. I just had an epiphany. Love to have them, by the way, especially when I listen to Jeremy. So here's the epiphany that I had. You just described a changing business model. You just described that we have to be, I believe you said, Did you say nimble? I think you did. And I started to think that it's possible that we could be our own Goliath. If we don't get out of our own way, we're going to be that large, unencumbering, slow-moving, you know, uh, arrogant person inside this realm of change. And I think it comes from being in when this is a hard job. I mean, we work in a very tough industry. I mean, we have a product that we have to hire a very high skilled force to. And if you don't have technicians to fix the car right the first time, oh my gosh, by two o'clock, you're just ready to shave your head and I'll go banging against the wall. The challenge is, and I'm closing my shop next week. We're doing a soft close for the week of the 4th of July. And it's my mid-year break to reset my thinking. I've got to get out of the shop, de-stress and think about the future because I'm working too hard in my business. So it's time to just reset that. So I think you're absolutely right, Carmen. That's a great insight. It's, and it's a great insight. And, and Bambi, do you agree that, you know, I mean, we all know a ton of shop owners in our industry. Is, 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 is that a challenge for us, that we could be our own Goliath? Absolutely. We can be hindering ourselves, uh, our thought process. And the whole thing with this story is is you think it's about underdogs, but really what's going on is um, we're misreading it, misperceiving it. And we do that all day, every day. You know, you, you judge someone when they walk in the door, you judge, oh, they're not going to buy, you judge, oh, they're not going to fix this or, or whatever you judge. Um, well, it's always worked this way. So I'm just going to keep doing this. Uh, the kids today, they, they're not there's so much that's different. So we, we're constantly trying new things and, and people think I'm weird. I'm out there in town taking pictures of people with pink hair and we, it's amazing in Snapchat, you can create your own little filter and have people come in. It brings such energy. And I look at other industries and what's working isn't, Hey, I have a donut shop. It's, Hey, I have this experience, this experience. I'm, I'm creating an experience for you. And if all we're doing is being what we've always been, it's not going to work long term. I, you know, we want an experience. So, and that's what David brought. He brought a completely different, he, he worked within what he was, he knew and he was comfortable with. He's not stepping outside of his bounds. He's, he's working where he's comfortable and um, he doesn't care what other people think. And Malcolm uh, Gladwell in his new book talks about one of the common threads between all successful entrepreneurs is they just don't care what other people think about what they're doing. They have a vision and they have a mission and they're so focused and stealth focus on that. 
they're going to succeed. The word stealth interests me. I know it's it's in maybe it's in your talking points. Stealth, and when I think of stealth, that pretty much means I can't be detected, and 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 I'm not sure that that goes in this strategy. I mean, don't you want to really get out there and make noise? Don't you want to be seen? I, I do, but I want you to consider it a different way. Um, if if I've messed up, I use stealth recovery, stealth recovery. So okay. if something's gone wrong and somebody's coming back for a comeback or, you know, um, they left and they left us a bad review, we've got to be stealth in, in getting that resolved. So I need a stealth recovery program and, and I don't want, I don't want it to be, oh, they're just trying to buy me. It needs to be sincere. It, it, we need to be I think heightened alert. Stealth to me is a heightened alert. It happens. No one really saw it happen, but it happened. Yes. I got it. Yes. There wasn't a lot of noise made about it, but we really we really made it happen with all the integrity built inside the car. I get it. Okay. But uh, but so you know, I keep thinking, guys, Jeremy, lady, uh, ladies, pro cons to David and Goliath as we look at uh, the, the real the, the challenges that we have inside of each of our markets. What's what's a pro about being David-like when we're looking for share and fighting the competitors with the big ads for the three-for-ones and stuff? Is our nimbleness? You're talking about being able to move quickly. I can I can impact things. Um, I'm not weighted down. I know my mission. Uh, I, I'm I'm confident and and who I am and what I stand for and what I can and can't do. And I'm honest with my client in that way. So I'm not upsetting them and taking on things I can't do. Um, those you are can, some, you can create a connection with people, uh, when you're, when you are the, the face of the business or you're, you're, you're very easy to get in touch with that. That's a big thing nowadays, you know, um, going back, uh, to Jeremy, you know, uh, talking about some of the, the big, the things that, you know, need to change or whatnot. You know, you held your phone up and it reminded me, I took your DVI, uh, selling DVI class at vision and, um, you know, we're using that, but we're, which is a, you know, a new, a new thing in our market, but we're still talking to people and we're, we're still printing them out and giving them to them. Um, we're using some old stuff that people want because they want it. They want to have a human connection, but people still want the, they want the, the latest and greatest too. So we have to kind of modify that. And, um, and that nimbleness, uh, you know, if, if I was in a corporate environment, they probably would say, everyone is going to get a text message or an email. We're not talking to people. I have to adapt to every customer versus just cookie cutter. Everybody gets the same way, you know, because I, I could have the 16-year-old high school girl who needs uh, is in for a regular three-month oil change service, or I could have the 90-year-old uh, guy who has absolutely has never owned a computer in his life. How, how can I cookie cutter that? I have to be able to adapt. Scott, I think what Scott just said, Scott just said, do the right thing to me. <laughs> in, in the world of Goliath, there is the policy on the wall, and there is no right thing. <laughs> this, is, this is how we do it. Now, there are always exceptions to when you have a really big heart in the face of the customer, no matter how big, if it's a David or Goliath type operation. But yes, you can always, as, as, as we've said, nimbleness is a great quality for David and doing the right thing should trump everything. Yeah, Carm, I just want to hit on that real quick. So the nimbleness and being David-like, it is all you talked about that customer experience. And, you know, when Bambi talked about being stealth with, you know, dealing with a customer who has a comeback, you know, as a, as a shop owner, I'm sure everybody agrees with me. 
the the reviews that we celebrate the most aren't the five star or the one star. It's that customer that should go leave us a one star review and they don't, right? After we dealt with it behind closed doors and we're just watching your phone, you're looking at your alerts for a week and you're like, okay, I know it's coming, but it never comes. Right? You're like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, right? But it's, you know, look at Starbucks, and I love Starbucks as a company. I mean, they are just a behemoth, uh, just generating you know, revenue and their Goliath. But what really makes it magical is the Davids that work within that organization. And I think that's really what we're all kind of striving for is how do we build this business, this grassroots within our local community that we can serve and be a part of, and then have each team member understand how to be nimble enough to hit it out of the park specifically on the client experience. So for instance, this morning, I got the shop at 5 a.m. We're delivering a Ford 6.0. Now I know, I understand, nobody has to send me an email or text on us. I understand why a lot of my diesel guys say, Jeremy, don't work on 6.0s. I understand, I've written those checks, guys. So I'm doing the final QC on it this morning. I just wanna make this truck perfect because they're, they're heading out of town for the fourth. Well, I'm two blocks from the shop and all of a sudden the pitch and the engine changes and the thing shuts off and I'm in the middle of the road and it will not restart. And I'm like, oh my gosh. First thing I think was, all right, what did my technician screw up, right? That's, and I'm like, hold on, Jeremy, that's wrong thinking. So now back up, we get it to the back, something else happened. Okay, fine, we can handle it. But the nimbleness in making sure that the QC was done leads to a customer experience where being stealth-like, okay, they're never going to see or experience that. The worst thing that would happen is if they had a trailer on that truck 30 miles outside of town and that happened. If we didn't do it well enough to do the final QC and catch it. And I think a lot of times we, when we put money ahead of that customer experience, when we're focused on our sales goals too much and we want to drive sales, uh, we will shortcut things. Oh, it's good. I trust my tech. He's got a great reputation, right? He's done good work, but we didn't drive it on our final road test route. We didn't put it through spaces. So I think that's where being David-like is really being able to execute at every moment of that client experience. And like Scott says, yes, you've got to adapt to what your customers want. And that's really where it's at. That David mindset is I don't care what challenge and what giant you put in front of me. I will find a way to win because I am me and I will conquer this. Yes. Yes. Nailed it. Thank you. And what I thought, uh, based on this recent conversation, was we need Davids at all levels inside of our company. In fact, we should ha- our culture should be codenamed the David culture. <laughs> well, there you have that. <laughs> I'm just bubbling with ideas today. <laughs> you inspire me. Wow. Great stuff. Uh, another pro for, for a David against the uh, uh, the con of a Goliath. Well, I, I'm going to go with niche. And I, I see this developing right now. You know, we're a general auto repair shop and I'm um, ready to move away from that. And, you know, my, my model next year is, hey, we're going to open from April through September and become the air conditioning king and take the rest six months off. Right. We're going to make our revenue during that, that period of time. But I think there's there is an emerging trend even in the independent aftermarket where we understand we cannot be all things to all people and finding that niche and, you know, Greg Buckley is doing it really well where he's, he's creating that brand of taking care of the client. Love it. Love what he's doing. Um, I think going further in that is your technical expertise is it's the, the, the margin for error today is way too thin and you've got to be an expert at what you do and you will get the rewards of being an expert. But if you're just going to be average, it's not going to cut it. But if you're going to be average, you have to be so good. I mean, you've got to run a bigger business, more success. You need more money to run 
the the big wide open general repair shop. Is that, is that what you're saying? When does it end, Carm? I mean, when are the, the how much of a marketing budget can these large corporations throw at their consumer? And and, and here's the thing. The trend with consumers is this, they were the loyalty at sales training. We've all said for the past five years that loyalty is dead. Customers aren't loyal. Okay. I'm starting to disagree with that because if you deliver that amazing experience, yes, you will garner loyalty. What has changed, you have to earn the loyalty at every transaction. It's no longer, I did it great once it's there forever. So my question is how much money do these large companies have to keep dumping in at some point it is going to end because that lost leader advertising is not going to generate profits. And I heard a stat the other day on an audiobook I was listening to, and it said that over 60% of corporations in the United States are not profitable. They're just pushing paper through. And at some point in time, that's going to end. It's going to have to. I totally agree with your loyalty piece that you have to earn it per transaction. I said for years that at 8 o'clock the next morning, loyalty starts to tick again. So you could you could have busted your hump to earn it and get it and gain it. The car the, the car leaves three months later. There's a problem, an issue, a maintenance thing, a reminder for an oil change. Hmm, where do I go now? Yeah, there is no doubt that that previous experience will get that car to come back to you. But then it is your job never to take advantage of it and absolutely positively go back to the fact that you are ready to build another step of loyalty with that customer who you may take for granted to say, hey, wow, they've been here 10 times in the last two years. Uh Uh-uh. And I think that's what you're saying. It is. And my last thought is pricing is transparent today. So when that experience falters, the pricing model then comes back in where the consumer is going to challenge your pricing. And if you don't have a David to deal with that, game over. I think the large... um the larger businesses niche well too. Uh, I think they found, at least in my area, it seems a lot of the larger, they're, they're I'm going to take care of your oil, your brakes, your, your under car. Uh, they don't want to touch in the engines. If it's a timing, they, they really don't want to do all the big jobs. So for us, we, um, what we found that works really, really well is, and maybe it's because we are, we are nimble and we have a pulse on what's going on with our shop because we're here and, and we're personal, but um, customers come in and, and I may not always, you know, we'll look, there's a TSB or there's a recall and this needs to go to the dealer because it's covered. We're very transparent and building our relationships with our customers. So I refer out sometimes, I, I refer out frequently but my customers come to me first every time, no matter what, even though I refer and I, they're using other people in my area because they know they're getting the truth from me. It's, it's not about, I'm, I'm about building a bridge. You know, I'm not about tearing down the bridge. I'm, I'm not about having to have it all. You, I'm about what's right for that client. You know that when they really trust you, when they are upset that they have to return to a dealer for a recall or right. warranty work, why can't you do it? I will pay you to do it, and I'll go fight to get paid back from them. You know that you you know you're doing something right when when that happens. Right. On occasion, we have had customers say, "I don't care if it's free with them. I want you to take care of it." But most people just don't have that flexibility or that mm-hmm. pocketbook. So, yeah. so building that relationship. Um, but I think the large and small, we do try to niche ourselves a lot. Uh, I can't possibly be excellent at everything. And, and those that do attempt what? that. I know. I, I thought know. you have been. I know. <laughs> no, I got so many flaws. Uh, 
but seriously, you can't, I can't get all the tooling, the accurate tooling. We did a, we're, we're stellar at Land Rover, right? But these cars change every year. They, they create a new tool for this. We're doing a tiny job. We get into it. We need a different tool. And I'm like, okay, this is new to me. So we have to go buy a new tool. And it's like, the, if you had to do that with every brand on the market, it's a, you can't. Jay, you, um, you just piqued my interest a few moments ago when you said niche, niche, niche. What, what are you thinking? Oh man, my wheels are, so you saw the smoke coming out of my ears, didn't you? It's like a six liter Ford that uh, doesn't run right. Um, <laughs> Common theme. <laughs> there's a reason I really don't like the Ford product and I'm a Chevy man, right? My suburban 227,000 miles and still running strong. Uh, going back and, you know, Bambi, you, you, that trigger thought is, okay, the, the Goliaths have their niche. Well, what they've done is they've, they understand where the gravy's at. And they said that, and I was going to ask Scott, if I'm sure you're seeing this in Minneapolis as well. If you're a repair shop and you do hardcore diagnosis and, well, if you test and analyze vehicles and do a proper repair on them, those are for my, uh, that's for uh, my friends out there who yell at me when I use the word diagnose. We're seeing cars that have been at three and four and five shops that other shops have given up on and these customers are really orphaned. And then the challenge is this all, this is so full circle with the sales of what we do. What leads to it is a neglected vehicle. It's people not understanding how to use the right product how to use the right oil filter, use the right oil. And they create these smaller issues that add up and add up and the car hasn't been properly maintained. And then now, boom, it's a grenade and it's left on our lap after three, four or five other facilities have tried to fix and it's not fixed. Well, I think that is definitely going to change because cars break a lot harder and they're more expensive to fix now when they break. And then going back to what Bami said about the corporations, um, the large, you know, giants with their niche. I want part of that. I want to set business models up that capture that market share. And I have a national chain on literally a block in front of me that their business model, they have one person in the Bay, they have one technician and he knows exactly how many cars a day he's going to do. He knows how many, this job, that job and that. And he runs a very low overhead business, very profitable, very smart. And here I am trying to be all things, all people running around my hair on fire. And it's time to think smarter, work smarter on the business, but find those niches and really execute them. And this is the challenge. When I say the rules are changing, there are no rules in business right now. You can go create the rules that you want and create a business model that nobody's done before and watch it blossom right in front of you. That's the beauty of what we have right now. Is it worth having a town hall academy on niching? Sign me up. I'll confirm it. Bambi, uh, you guys uh, really do a, a, a lot of Euro. And do you, do you ever sneak over and uh, handle any of the the Detroit three? We do. We take care of any. If you pull onto our car lot and it's a vehicle, um, and we don't do motorcycle. I, I really don't like Dodge. Um, other than that, sorry for all the fans out <laughs> well, there. Well, there's a negative niche. I like that. Okay. <laughs> uh, but there, are, you know, there are some that we just we just don't. But but most of our customers have a, a, an array of mm -hmm. uh, brands, and we take care of them. We are known for our Euro, uh, and that's the majority of what we get. Scott, you being in a small town, uh, you're doing everything. Yeah, everything, including at one point, uh, we used to say if it was bicycles, the bulldozers, we would work on it. But uh, uh, we, we kind of scaled out of some of the larger stuff just uh, for the the ability to uh, 
procure parts and uh, the space for some of that big stuff was was getting to be an issue. So we went back to primarily mainstream automotive. Hesperia, California, big town, 80,000, 100, little town. Jeremy, what do you got? We're uh, the last refuge of affordable housing in Southern California, and people commute like crazy, so they drive a ton of miles. We've got probably 200,000 residents within our tri-community. A big enough community that you could niche in within within it. I tell you what, I tell you what we're niching in right now. I it's so funny when we get stumped on a vehicle, I send it to the dealer and pay them their diagnostic. This is how I create such an amazing selling diagnostic class because I paid the dealers to diagnose and I research this stuff like crazy. So when Bambi said Dodge, I just, you know started it made me laugh. I have a really good client. She just bought a used Dodge Ram One Ten with a six point seven in it, and from the beginning. Okay, we put a turbo in it and then it kept having all these codes. Well, I sent it to the, I told the customer, I said, time out, I'm, we're going to send it to the dealer, make sure that we did our job right and they can confirm everything. We want to make sure it's got the latest, you know, update. And we don't do programming yet. So that's a, a, a hurdle that we're going over. So long story short, she spends $2,500 at the dealership to do additional repairs. Check your light comes back on, same code. Okay. Send it back over there. Now I'm her liaison, so I'm working with the service advisor to try to get this problem fixed because this truck has got to get fixed. And we've paid you to fix it. You need to fix it. So three additional times with four of the same codes. You know what the dealership told me? I met with the service manager. Met with the shop foreman. He goes, well, three of those codes aren't active, so we don't even look at them. So what are you talking about? Didn't you clear it out when it left? Like it should have left with no codes found. And if this isn't, if they come back on, there's an issue. Yeah. But if they're not active, it's the test is not going to find anything. So we just ignore it. Okay. What about the active code? It's been on from day one. And you told Mrs. Customer that the repair that she paid $2,500 for was going to fix it. Now they're saying that she needs X, Y, and Z for $6,500. So here's the challenge. The Goliaths of the world, they don't understand what the consumer goes through. And when you have a service advisor that's five service advisors on the line, there's five service advisors. They're another number. They're, they've got so much volume that they're overwhelmed just to finish the task for the day. So they grab the report. They call the customer and say, here's what my technician found. It's going to be $6,500. You want to fix it? Yes or no? And the consumer goes, well, I got a question. What about last time? I already paid you $2,500. Well, when was your car in last? Uh, it was in last week. Uh, okay. You don't remember me, Mr. Service Advisor? Why does it need this? And now you're telling me my injectors are bad when the vehicle was there before. You didn't see anything wrong with this. So long story short, I go have this meeting. I'm like, thank you. I'm going to pay you your diagnostic fee again. Write the check, bring the truck back. As I'm going through it, I'm sitting, I'm leaning on the hood and I look at the battery and I kid you not, this is too good for me to make up. The negative battery terminal on one of the batteries is literally off resting on top of the battery and I'm going, you know, if you know, Dodge's grounds and power issues are pretty much everything with these cars, both negative terminals were completely loose. And it's a really, how did this technician overlook it? Well, what I've understood it, there's a certain level that they go after that code, they sell the component and they sell the repair. And there's not really a care or concern for the financial consequences of the consumer. And if the customer has to spend 10 grand to fix that truck, well, at some point in time, they're going to fix it because there's no more components to change on the darn thing. And it's a heck of a lot cheaper than buying a new truck. You want to go spend 75, 80,000 for a new truck, or do you want to spend 15 grand to fix the one you have? The Goliath syndrome. We, here's a, there's another neat new concept to keep in mind. Let's go around the room. Uh, David and Goliath, uh, final, final thoughts. Uh, we'll, Scott? 
Well, I can honestly say that, you know, I'm probably the small, one of the smallest around, uh, that I, uh, I feel that, uh, we will be here for quite some time, uh, because I have the personal drive. Uh, I don't have to answer to anyone else. Uh, so that makes, uh, uh, makes me the, uh, the visionary or the, or the drive and, uh, that, uh, I will adapt to whatever I have to do to make things work for everybody, not just my business, but my customers and my community. I find it so interesting before, Bambi, you were talking, uh, you were going off and and I started to, we have to do this, we have to do this. And I kept thinking about, wow, um, how do we do all that stuff? And I started to realize the education that goes on inside of our industry to help our entrepreneurs, our Davids, learn stuff. Podcasts, AMI, uh, the, the courses that you teach, Jeremy. I, I, I don't think it, it would have been crazy to say, okay, great. Well, then how do I do all this stuff? Well, you've got to have a coach. You've got to be in a 20 group. You've got to get training. And I, I wanted to get that out. Bambi? I, I would just say... The biggest thing, you know, being perceived as powerful and unbeatable is great, but the biggest learning that you could find in this story is to question your own thought process because that can change everything. Uh, You can give yourself a a rather large advantage by looking at things differently and, and not being stuck in a box. Simple, quick, short. Jeremy, thank you very much. Jeremy? Absolutely. Uh, thanks for having having me on, Carm. I think it, you know as you grow, because business is going to grow. Uh, don't lose your David, and remember to focus on the internal and the external Goliaths in your life, and find a strategy to get to where you want and conquer what's in front of you. They may have been your shortest uh, final talking points ever. Thank you so much. Appreciate you all being on the David and Goliath show here in Remarkable Results Radio. Bye. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for having us. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.